Hi, and welcome to the third episode of Touring the Multiverse. This is the first limited series of the It's a Mimic podcast where I, Dave, lead you and Adam on a tour of one of the published campaign settings for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Over the course of this series on Eberron, I'll be breaking down history, lore, settings, populaces, adventures, and player options. Will I give some quick insights into the unique monster stats that Wizards of the Coast has provided? Today, uh, we're covering four other nations that are kind of going to be in the southeast of Corvair. Uh, so climb aboard the lightning rail and join me as we look into the steampunky world of high adventure as presented in Eberron, Rising from the Last War. Alright, so today I kind of wanted to do it a little bit differently. The, the way that I've kind of had it laid out was I was going to start with one of the, the five original nations and break it down how it fell apart from there. But I want to kind of save the best for the end today, which is be Sire. So we'll, we'll start with the other ones in the, the southeast corner. Okay, and last episode we did the northwest corner. Yeah, yeah, the, the Demon Wastes, Eldine Reaches, yeah, and yeah, there. Yeah, but, but we're on the opposite side of the continent now. E- yeah, just because okay. I like to not be linear. Is it linear? Cyclical? Cyclical. Clock-like? Yep. Okay. Yep. Round. Uh, so today I wanted to start with Kibara, which I hope I'm saying that right. Well, it starts with a Q apostrophe, so it's... Ends with a bara. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, As you all know, I am fairly terrible at the pronunciation of things. You know what? I'm just going to lean into it. The pronunciation of things. Just, ah, goddamn. You know? Um, so, yeah. Anyways, today. Uh, so, Kabara is a place kind of like no other on Corvair. Uh, it's a vast, untamed frontier filled with all sorts of dangers and treasures. Okay. okay. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Before we go any further, Corvair, again, because it's been a couple of weeks, Corvair is the main continent with all of the big kingdoms on it where everybody lives. It's where most of our adventure takes place. And there's all this politics going on, but this is one of the outlying, like, borderland areas. Am I getting that right? Yeah. It's this... like wild, like uh, like the, was it the Demon Wastes were last episode? It's kind of wild. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of separated from the rest of the continent by the End World Mountains, okay? Uh, and these areas were fairly untamed, Okay. Um, before people started exploring there during the last war. I mean, it wasn't really deemed worthwhile until then. Uh, settlers leaving war-torn areas uh, journeyed here, kind of trying to figure out what it was about. You know, explore the undamaged land, the the war that they're the the land that's not torn by war, right? Okay. So they ended up coming down here, and when they got there, they found massive deposits of dragon shards. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, a particular kind or just in general? In general. Quick rundown, though there's the three kinds of dragon shards. Um, they kind of exist everywhere, but it is my understanding that the Sybaris ones are kind of quite rare because they kind of kind of fall from the heavens where Eberron ones are the material are the main world. They're abundant and, and Kyber exists. You got a mine for Kyber ones? Uh, not necessarily, but Probably. I yeah, mean, okay. like, there's a rich history. These have come and gone, and like they've they've moved around. Like they're uh, they're abundant, but but they're not super freaking abundant. They're <laughs> they're abundant. Like um, I'm trying to think, like silver. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, more or less. That is my understanding. Okay. Okay. All right. uh, so when the settlers got here, though, uh, in addition to the dragon shards, they also found the original inhabitants. Oh, okay. Uh, which were mainly uh, dragonborn and lizard folk. Okay. Now, the settlers, because, I mean, let's be honest, they were probably elves and humans. Sure. They were really frigging racist. And they just ended up calling them all scales. Okay. okay. So, yeah, when gotcha. they talk about scales, it's kind of a reference to all of them. As you all know, things, races tend to stick to themselves in D&D. Uh, so, there are a bunch of different factions that all get this scales moniker, Okay. The Cold Sun Federation is one of the factions that does have dragonborn and lizard folk. It's not just one race, uh, but it's friendly with the government that was established following the Treaty of Thronehold. Okay? Thronehold did not recognize the lizard folk and dragonborn as the nation. It was the government that they put in place. Okay? And, okay. and the Cold Sun Federation is friendly with them. Okay. So right now the ruler is King Sebastus. Sure. Uh, and he resides in the port, the capital, the port city of New Throne. Uh, New Throne is kind of right in the heart of the region. And it's also, that area is kind of known as New Galifar. 
All right. Okay. Remember Galifar? Yeah, yeah I remember uh, Galifar. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the northern part of Kibara is called Hope, and the rest are the unexplored lands of the scales. Okay. These are the untamed wilderness. These are where you're going to find. Is this racist? Like Africa was a dark continent. Racist? Like is that what the, that's what we're talking about here? Right. Yeah, yeah. I would hesitate to say no. Okay. All right. That's okay. all I want to know here. So, like, when you're playing a Dragonborn character in this setting, you, you've you got some automatic hardships coming If your you're way. playing a Dragonborn from this region. Okay. Okay. Now, keep in mind that the Dragonborn you play could be part of the Cold Sun Federation, and they've got an in with the, the government in sure. New Throne. So, you know, the, you're still going to get called, hey, scales, you know, but it's not... Yeah, but still, I mean... You're putting up a lot of skin privilege? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, the Dragonborn, they mostly live in an ancient city called Karashan. All right. You are just terrible at everything. Uh, that is Karashan. 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 Agreed. Fuck. All right. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of up in the unexplored lands of the scales. Okay. So it's not really, it's not part of New Galifar or the area called Hope. Now, there is another faction called the Poison Dusk, and these are mostly lizard folk, and they hate the fact that outsiders have come into their traditional homelands and have kind of taken it for themselves and are mining it of its riches and are pretty much, like, not doing what they want them to do. Yeah. They're kind of being intrusive, you know, very white man coming to North America. Yeah. Uh, Right? But the thing is, is that these lizard folk with the Poison Dusk, they seem to have some fiendish powers that are kind of left over from the ruins from the age of demons there's kind of they're connected to that uh, i would assume so because there's the dusk hag that we covered in the last episode right mm-hmm. and so when you said dusk as well i i drew a, a parallel or a comparison is there a connection there at all not that i'm aware of okay um i know that there are hags in a different region yeah uh not to say they couldn't be here i i didn't get that feeling, but I mean, it could. Sure. All right. Uh, now, the Poison Dusk, like I said, they don't like outsiders coming into their land. So they're just as likely to attack settlers and people of New Galifar as they are scales from the, the Cold Sun Federation. Uh, and I mean, these skirmishes have really started to escalate. And a lot of people think that there's going to kind of be all out civil war in this area in the near future. Okay. This feels, you remember the movie Congo? Yes. This feels to me like the, the untamed reaches and then there's the, the like the uncivilized native animal creatures that are trying to fight it, you know, kick out the white man and all that. Like is that is is this what we're dealing with? Yeah, this is I got the impression that it was very jungle frontier. Well, so is Congo. Yeah. So okay. I'm just I'm trying to come up with like what's the flavor that you would be looking for as a dungeon master, as a player. I want to go over there. Here's what we're in for, right? Uh, I'm probably going to say this again for different regions as well, but Indiana Jones really kind of stuck out to me here yeah. as well. Uh, I also feel like the Venture Brothers would be playing around in here as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Uh, but, I mean, that's pretty much what makes Kabara tick. Okay, cool. Right? Cool, cool, cool. From Kabara, I want to move a little bit west to Valinar, the next nation. Okay. Okay. Uh, the elves of Valinar, because Valinar is an elvish nation, they devote themselves to the study of war, okay? Oh, okay. They're they're warfaring elves, okay? All right. Uh, their mounted units are, like, the best in all of... I've got a unit that can be mounted. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, they're, like, the best in all of Corvair. Nobody else's cavalry can really hold up to it. Uh, and they're also known to combine their talent of magic... Uh, with their affinity for stealth and swordplay. So you kind of get the best of everything. Okay, sure. So these are super stealthy mounted combatants with magic. Yes. Okay. They're terrifying. Like, you you don't want to come across these guys. And we'll get into why here in a minute. Uh, now, they were originally hired by Sire to be mercenaries during the last war. And then the Valinar just kind of betrayed Sire and took control over the region that they were responsible for protecting. So Valinar does, or did, share a border with Sire, uh, but it was left unaffected during the morning. Okay, the morning didn't really leach into Valinar. Well, you said there was a giant freaking wall all around the the country, right? Of Valinar? No, no, no. Uh, of, um, Of Sire. We haven't got to Sire yet. No, 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 but in the last episode, you said there was a big... 
Well, the, 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 there's a wall of mist that stops at the edge of the border. There's not a physical wall. Oh, okay. It's just a, a wall of mist that defines the border. It's not like you walk into... It gets a little foggy and foggier and foggier and foggier. No, okay. I thought there was like a legit wall that was, you know, 25 feet tall that was holding the... No, no, no. The mist in. No, no, no. no. Okay. No. Um, so th- that's really where the, the border is defined is kind of on this line, right? So because the elves were unaffected by the morning, they didn't really have a lot of opposition after Sire was done. Because, I mean, Sire was, Sire was the one that was pissed off. Uh, they didn't separate from Breland or Karnath. They separated from Sire, and there was really no opposition to them uh, getting status of their own nation at the, with the Treaty of Thronehold. Okay. Uh, so now they're they're legit. They're a nation. Was Kabara part of Sire originally as well? No. It was just, it's always been wild. But Valinar used to be, and then during the last war, they broke free. Sire dropped, and then Valinar just... Got a better foothold, I guess, politically. Yeah, they were the they took over the region, and the people that it used to belong to didn't exist anymore. So that, they, that so makes it easy. It. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, whereas, like I was saying, Kabara is on kind of kind of the other side of a mountain range, the End World Mountains. Well, it turned out it wasn't the end of the world. There was much stuff past it too. Uh, but now there are small units of Valinar elves that are called warbands that travel the kingdom, protecting the inhabitants and looking for adventures. Now, you said protecting, you did air quotes, which no one can see. Yes. But I'm assuming that these guys are raiders and brigands and thugs. Uh, they have been known to me. All right. In the north of Valinar, there's the Blade Desert, which can be quite perilous, but the biggest threat in the area is these warbands. Okay? If you are adventuring through there and you look like a challenge to a warband that's passing through, they're probably going to attack you. They don't care what you're doing. But if you are looking like a trade caravan, non-threatening, they're probably just going to leave you alone. So the warbands are out for glory and honor and they want the challenge. It's not the other way around. Correct. Yeah. They're not preying on the weak. They're they're challenging the strong. Yes. Okay. Uh, Because the Valinar see themselves as... The strongest, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, in fact, the refugees that made their way to Valinar from Sire after the morning uh, are treated as lesser beings, as are half-elves in the region, uh, who they're mainly employed as, like, administrators. They don't really get to be a part of the fun and the glory. No, more racism. Okay, cool. Eberron is a racist place. Okay, yeah. Okay? If you're not okay with that, move on to the campaign builder. <laughs> all right? Yeah, all right. It's not called Eberrites. It's called Eberron. No. So the armies of Valinar yep. uh, aren't just the warbands. They also have large contingents of rangers and druids. Uh, most of the small cities that you go and visit in Valinar are going to be surrounded with walls of thorns, which, again, are probably built by druids. Yeah. Right? That, that, that that's druid magic right there. That's elvish shit right there. Right? So it, it all kind of blends together. Uh, now, the Valinar have always existed. I mean, they just have their area now, but they were a, a, a thing before. Uh, and they always fought with um, goblins for control of this region. So the fact that there's a little sliver of sire that separates um, Valinar from uh, Dargoon, which is the goblin place where we're okay. going to next. Yeah. There's a sliver of sire that separates them, and that's now the Mornland. To the south of that is Kraken Bay, okay? These are what separate the goblins and the elves now, and that's probably for the best. Yeah, Poison Mist or the Kraken. You can choose which which way to go on this. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. The Valinar are roaming warbands, okay? They do occasionally travel into the Talenta Plains, which is just to the north of them, um, or into Kabara for raiding and looking for supplies and even just glory. Uh, but recently, their ruler, High King Sheras Vadalia... Why is he hiking? Because his horse was sick. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, he promised to kind of rein in the war the warbands. All right. But, I mean, he's not gonna. Like... Are the warbands just, like, a Mongol horde? Like, there's just a bunch of small little groups of... Are these, like, elvish barbarians? No. This is not like the Dothraki that had, like, many different Dothraki tribes? No, because, uh, like, the warbands to me were always maybe, like, units of maybe a hundred soldiers or so. Like, they'll come through town and they'll screw things up while they're there. They're not the feature of the land. Okay. You, you know what I'm saying? All right. So, the king can rein them in, but... Uh, why would he? They're prospering, right? Sure, okay. Now, they are a warfaring nation, but they're not cruel. The smaller communities that they protect 
are given quotas to fulfill in means of production of supplies, okay? Sure, okay. If these small cities don't reach those quotas, it's more likely that they're going to receive administrative assistance than punishment. Okay. All right, I'm with you. Okay, so like I was saying, it's not really... Remember I said that they won't attack the caravan, but they will attack the challenging fighters that, you know, travelers that have... They look like a challenge. Yeah. I, that's the same kind of thing here. If, if you're not up to snuff, they'll help you get there. You're not a threat. Uh, and, and that's really what makes Valinar tick. So they're not Klingons. They're not running around fighting for glory. Not exclusively. Not exclusively. Okay. All right. I feel like they're more like... I mean, to stick with a Star Trek metaphor, they'd be Romulans who acknowledge that you're strong and will see how strong you are. And they got the pointy ears. And they've got pointy ears. Yeah. But if you are weak, they will just bring you into the fold and make you a prosperous member of Romulan society. Yeah, essentially. Okay. All right. But they're going to look down on you for not being Romulan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, I've got the, I, I'm working on it. So we've got we've got crazy Indiana Jones racist in one area and then Star Trek Romulans in another. And now, and now we have the nation of goblins and goblinoids. Good. Yep. Uh, which is Dargoon. Dargoon. Yeah, they done did Dargoon name in this place. No. No? Did no. that did that fall flat? <laughs> no, fuck. All right. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Uh, so, as you are aware, we have covered this once or twice by now, I'm sure, uh, the goblin kingdoms once reigned over all of Corvair for centuries until the humans arrived from Sor- Sarlona uh, and essentially drove the goblins from their homes. It's yep. what humans do. Goblins, humans, the goblins are going to lose, right? Sure. Uh, so, Dargoon was part of Sire before the last war. There were a bunch of hobgoblin clans that were hidden in the Seawall Mountains, which are kind of south of Sire. But when the outbreak of the last war happened, Sire and Breland kind of went up into the mountains and hired the goblins to fight for them. And these goblins are effectively, I mean, it's multiple clans, but they're all known as the Galdar. And, I mean, they're essentially just mercenaries, goblin mercenaries. Goblin sure. mercenaries. Yeah, and I mean that makes sense. Anybody that knows the goblinoid, you know, races, I'm, is it the same where the goblins are sneaky little fucks and and bugbears are stealthy but brutish and and hobgoblins run the place and they're war bent. They're more militaristic. Sort of. Most of that is accurate. Okay. Okay. Near the end of the war, the goblins were united under the banner of the Galdar by a hobgoblin whose name was, and I'm going to struggle with this one, Steve. Mike. <laughs> Mike. Uh, no, it, it, his name was Lahesh Haruk Sharatkor, or just Haruk. We're going to call him Haruk. There's going to be a spelling in the show notes for all this nonsense, too. Please. Yeah. I, I need it. I have spelled things wrong, I'm sure. So the Galdar, now united under this one banner and led by a hobgoblin Haruk, uh, they were kind of supposed to protect this territory. But instead, they kind of took it over. Kind of like the Valinar did. Sure. Except this area was part Sire, part Breland. Now, Breland was already fighting on many different fronts, and they didn't really want to open up a new front for fighting. So they quickly made peace uh, with Dargoon and kind of solidified that border. Was it one of those like, ah, goddammit, you guys, fine, fine. This is yours. Stay here. We'll deal with you later. More or less. Okay. Okay. Sire was pissed, though. So although Breland made peace with them pretty much immediately, Sire fought the goblins right up until the Day of Mourning. Okay, they opened up a new front and just clashed right along the border. Sure. Right uh, Now, with Sire being gone and Breland caving, the Treaty of Thronehold just kind of gave it to them. They're now a nation. Just let's Here keep... you are over there. Yeah. yeah so, honestly, the Treaty of Thronehold... As, as I've been going through this, is such a friggin' sham. Like, <laughs> it says, well, we'll give you this now because we don't want to fight later, okay? Like, it's just, it's, this well, is well, not going to work out well in the long run. Was it just a quick knee-jerk reaction, like a band-aid to the issue, to stop the fighting now because, holy shit, the, the morning just happened. happened. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. All right. All right. So, it, like, it works, and it's recognized, and it's solid, and everyone's working to enforce it, but, like, come on. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, now, Dargoon is still ruled by Haruk, uh, but the peace between the clans is tenuous at best. They're goblin clans. 
Yeah. You know how they are. Uh, now, since the Goblin's betrayal of Breland and Sire, it's kind of been hard for them to get mercenary work. Yeah. Because nobody wants them. Nobody trusts them. They're not viable anymore. Yeah. Right? So they're kind of turning inwards. and There's like, infighting between the tribes and all that. Yeah. It's not as pretty as it was hoped, right? Uh, most of the cities are ruled by a clan and its clan leader, but this means that the rule of the land changes from city to city. They're like city-states. Essentially. Uh, now, there are bugbear clans that are in the south of Dargoon. They are called the Margul, uh, and they don't recognize the rule of Haruk or the goblin clans. They're just kind of the rogue bugbears. That yeah, that, that around. tracks. That makes sense for bugbears. Now, Haruk currently rules from the Red House or Kar... Barost in the goblin capital city of Rukundral. Sure, again, I will put all of this in the freaking show notes. As far as I'm aware, what I got from it was Kar Barost is just Red House and Goblin. Okay? It's like the White House, but it's the Red House. And instead of being in Washington, D.C., it's in Rukundral. Sure. Okay. Which is the capital city, right? Yep. Uh, there are many settlements kind of on the edge of the Mornland. They were there to protect Dargoon from Sire, but now it's kind of transitioned to protect Dargoon from the creatures that come out of the mist. And there are creatures that come out of the mist. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, if goblins are afraid of the monsters, it kind of gives you a better idea that these things are messed up. Goblins are pretty scared of anything. I mean, if you... They are, but they know that they can't just run away. Yeah. They okay. know they have to stay here and, like, there's no bargaining with these. They have to face it head on. Okay. Which is very ungobliny. Yeah, they're going to want to sneak away into the shadows and strike when you least expect it, so. Yeah. Uh and I mean the 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 biggest outpost they have there is called Gorgonhorn. <laughs> All right, and this was the, essentially the front line in the war against Sire. And that's that's Dargoon. So, hold on. Let me back up for a second here because I know where we're going next. Right? We're going into Sire. Yes. Sire's where the morning happened and it demolished the entire country. But we had these ancient, weird, savage lands with these dragon shards and, like, I assume inherent magic to it because there's so many dragon shards around. There's the Valinar elves. There's the um, goblinoid horde. There's a direct opposition Breland. There's a lot of people that could be responsible for the morning right at their borders, right? And that's part of the... Is that part of the issue? This, it, like, the, the border of Sire down in this part of the world is not as big as it is in other places. Okay. Like, this is probably not where it came from. I mean, these are these were mercenaries that saw an opportunity to take control of the land they were protecting. They were not ancient rivals with the, with the throne. Okay, all right. And even the elves were just nationalists they weren't essentially they they wanted their own place they wanted to do their own thing they wanted their own area to do it sure okay but sire sire was the favorite of the five nations uh it was kind of the hub of culture and commerce in galifar for like 900 years the kings and queens of galifar i mean this was their home okay now thronehold was there to like not make enemies they didn't want to play favorites but there was a favorite. You know how your mom always says that you're the favorite son, oh, but the other one's the favorite son? Come on, one of you is the favorite. Oh, and, absolutely. And everybody knows who it is. Right. right? Yeah, it's totally me. When King Jarrett Irwinearn died, the, the one yep. that yeah, started yeah, the yeah. whole thing, uh, he obviously left no instructions on how to follow from there. Except, traditionally speaking, the princess of Sire, whose name is... Mishan Irwinarn should have taken control. And the the people of Sire kind of pride themselves on knowing that they were right. They were the ones that were right during the last war. You mean the refugees that are now walking the land. Which is what makes it even more bitter for them. Because although nobody really won, Sire lost. Yeah. Big time. So, I mean, the fact that they were supposed to be... They were the favorites. They were where the kings were. They had the highest... They had the most to lose, and they lost it all, right? It should have been them, and it wasn't. And it's not like it was somebody else. It's just... This is a true fall from grace. Yeah, they done fucked up. Okay. Okay? Now, the main religion in Sire was the Sovereign Host. Uh, There was also, you know, the Silver Flame 
still had a large following as well. We're going to do deep dives into both of those later in another episode, right? Yes. Uh, the reason I bring them up is that a lot of, like, there there was a, a lot of religious people in Sire, and many of them think that the morning was a divine trial uh, that was meant to strengthen their resolve as a people. Well, guess what? Yeah. It wasn't. I mean, maybe it was. I don't know. I'm not a sovereign host. I'd just be the DM. So, I mean, I guess I would be yeah. the sovereign. Anyways, uh, the queen at the time, uh, she was in the capital city on the day of mourning and is presumed dead. Her son, Prince Orgev Irwinarn, is alive and well and resides in the city of New Sire, which is a refugee camp that's set up in Breland close to the border. Metrol was the capital of Galifar. It was also the capital of Sire. Again, this is where the kings and queens of Sire lived. It was known as the Rising City. Uh, and this was because of its big, tall buildings. Now, Sharn is the city of towers, but Metrol was also... As big or bigger? No. Just prettier? So there's a picture in, I think, the section of the Mornland uh, in the book. It shows these big, giant towers, and actually leading up against it is a warforged colossus in, in, against one of the towers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that that picture. But there's only a handful of towers. But, I mean, the city is still sprawling. It's it's large. So it's D.C. to New York, where New York is Sharn, but D.C. is... is... Sure, I've been to neither. Okay. But, but D.C. has better architecture, and it's more spectacular, and it's where the leaders live, and all that. Yes. Okay. Now, in Metrol was also the home of the Cathedral of the Sovereign Host. Okay, so it was like the capital of the religion. So also the Vatican. Uh, yes, and because you can't really get there anymore, I mean, you can, but because it's not as accessible as it once was, it has put a lot of strain on the religion. Now, it's still alive and doing well. The Sovereign Host isn't going anywhere, but it is a you know cause of grief for a lot of the people that follow it. Uh, it's also home to the Vault. Ooh. Uh, this is where all of the money was minted. Uh, it housed the treasures of the kingdom that were just too valuable to be out on display. When I read that part, I immediately thought, oh, this is my plot hook. Yeah. Right? They gotta get something out of the vault. And let me tell you, it's not gonna be easy to get into the vault. One of the other cities in Sire was Eston. Okay? Okay. Uh, it was another, well, again, a very prominent city. Uh, it was home to House Kenneth, who is the, the makers. They're the house of making, right? Yeah. Not to be confused with the city of making. Which was also in Sire and a stronghold for Ken Kenneth. Yes. No. Not Ken Kenneth. From Connecticut? Yeah. No. No. Okay. No. Obscure reference, but let's keep moving. Okay. Uh, Eston was home to the Steel Gardens. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, it also had three creation forges, which is where the Warforged were created. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and the Clockwork Menagerie. This, The Clockwork Menagerie was kind of a place where... Uh, golems and homunculi were showcased, okay, and had like really strong ties to artificers. Whereas the steel garden was kind of think of it as like this is where the precursors to the warforged were. You okay. would find like metal birds and still constructs, yeah. but but not quite as organic as the warforged end up being. Yes, because warforged aren't considered constructs anymore. I guess they're not. Hey, so but I mean these are this was kind of where the testing happened, and because the morning twisted everything. Now all of these strange creatures that were created and in Eston, these weren't necessarily affected by the morning, and they have been twisted and deformed. And there's some strange stuff going on in Eston today. Okay. Okay. But let's move on from Sire. And let's get into what the Mornland really is. Okay. Sure. All right. So all of this stuff is now, as far as we know, uninhabitable and full of crazy monster shit, and you can't breathe in there. And everybody did, right? Mostly. Is it's like it's like the mist. Mostly. Okay. Okay. Sire used to be referred to as the Jewel of Galifar. It was the best that the city or the the, the country had to offer, the continent really. And that is obviously no longer the case because this land has been twisted and shrouded in mist and is really just this giant scar that runs up the middle of Corvair, kind of separating it almost into two different areas. Um honestly if it wasn't for the the Karnath border um, with Aundair, it really would be cut in half because Sire runs 
top to bottom almost exclusively. Does it touch the sea at the on the south border? Yeah, I remember I was talking about there's the Kraken Bay. Except yeah. like so Sire comes right down to Kraken Bay. Okay, so you have to it you have to go around by water then at, at the bottom to get Now you can travel through the mist. Uh, yeah, but you can't breathe. I mean it doesn't stop it. Got... I haven't specifically found it saying that anywhere. Really? Yes. Is that an old holdover from 3.5? It might be. However, we're going to get there in a minute. All right. Okay. Because i got a little more information on it. Now, the mists came in on 20 Olaroon 994YK. Do you remember when that was? No, I don't. I do not know. I... It's the 20th of February. Sure. Four, that was my next guess. Four years yeah. ago. I knew it. I knew it was. You're, you're a smart cookie. Uh, now, Sire had been doing well during the last war, but it and it had pushed fairly far into the kingdom of Karnath uh, and was holding well against Thrain and Breland, but that all became irrelevant as soon as the mist happened. Uh, according to some people, because there's not really any solid knowledge of this, the mists rose from Metrol, more specifically from the royal palace of Vermishard. Others think it began in the city of Making, so they think it might be a House Kenneth thing. Okay. All anyone really knows is that in its first day, it killed over a million citizens of Sire. But it didn't kill them all. Now, it stopped at the Siran border, which allowed people trying to flee an opportunity to get out of the mist, and they did. The people that were able to get out, they can't remember what was going on in there. Oh, that's creepy. They don't know why it happened, okay? They, there's not really a good understanding of it. They don't necessarily remember how far they had to go to get out of there. And because of this, most people shun them uh, because now they're just thought to be agents of darkness. People do venture into the Mornland still, but I mean, the vast majority don't return. And it's all hearsay of what they find in there. What they do know, though, is that the land is twisted in inexplicable ways. Uh, maps of Sire are now of limited use uh, because the landscape twists and warps. Distances seem to get bigger and smaller without explanation, uh, and land cannot sustain life. Food and water, you got to bring it with you. Okay, you're not going to be eating, was it corpse crabs? You're not having corpse crab legs for dinner. Okay. Okay. Uh, the area inside is still shrouded in mist and really devoid of life, sunlight, and sound. Like, even... Walking through your footsteps are going to sound a little different. It is not the same. So one of the places that is drastically different now than it used to be is Making. Okay? The city of Making? The city of Making. Okay. okay? Uh, and what's now called the Glass Plateau. Lots of people believe that Making was the, the center of what happened on the morning. But again, nobody really knows. Uh, it reshaped the terrain around the city which created great highland formations known as the Glass Plateau. It's large, smooth, flat, with jagged spikes and spires jutting up from the ground. This was not how it was before. This is more what I would imagine you would find in Kyber, in the, the Underdark. You know, like, this is some messed up stuff that seems to have kind of risen. These these creatures that you find in the Mornland were living creatures, it didn't just kill people, it twisted them and deformed them. It took the magic of the land and it twisted it. So now there's floating living spells just roaming around, okay? Like, this place is just absolutely messed up. Everything has changed. Rules of, like, the physics of the world do not apply here. It might have taken you one day to get to where you were, but it's going to take you a week to get back because it's changed that much. You can get into some really weird physics-bending magical nonsense with this, much like I think the Feywild and the Shadowfell have the ability to in Forgotten Realms lore. So like, I, I really like the idea that there's um that there's this area where DMs can just take their gloves off and go to town. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. There's a lot of room for interpretation here. So the thing that I really like about this is that there's a central mystery in the middle here that you don't know what it what it's about. It could be Breland or what Karnath or... It could be, I mean, hell, is this the Giants? Is this the Underdark? Are there overlords coming back? Is this, is this, is this Kyber? Some people think that the morning started because the dragon lords that created the world, the progenitor dragons, had enough war. There was so much war going on, they did what they needed to do in order to stop 
the war. And it worked. Which is why there's a lot of people afraid to go back to war. And there's this tenuous peace that's held together by this sham of a treaty. Okay. All right. Right? Like, there's there's so much to this. Now, even in the book, if you get into the Mornland area, it talks about the different monsters. And there's a table here for monstrous mutations. Uh, and, I mean, it's a, it's a D6 table. You roll on it. The creature has grown to an unusual size. The creature has developed magical camouflage. The creature's body has been infused with one kind of energy. The creature has magical, magic resistance trait. The creature has a supernatural ability to heal its wounds. The creature has two heads. Like, it gives you an opportunity to just take what might be a, a more mundane creature and really flip it on its head and make it extra scary. You've got someone who was, I forget who it was, but I think it was, was talking about Dan. Oh, when, when you describe a creature, Dan goes, oh, I know exactly what that is and yeah. what it's going to do, yeah. right? He's the worst for it. You can really screw with him doing this. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Or you can get it like just as freaking weird as you want to with it as well, right? Like you can move its eyes and mouth down to the center of its chest and like... You get really body horror creepy with this. Yeah, but it's it's more than that too because there's also a table for environmental effects, okay? Healing spells are impeded here. The character who casts a spell must make a constitution save or the spell hits it, the caster. Uh, any medium humanoid that dies in the area reanimates as a zombie. This area is affected by a silent spell. Each creature that enters the area is affected by an enlarged slash reduced spell. The pull of gravity is lessened. Creatures are linked to every other creature in the area as if by a telepathy spell. Like, there's more than just... It, everything gets weird. There's no end to it. You know, you're going to keep going. There's, there's villains in the Mornland. There's the Lord of Blades. There's cult followers devoted to Belashira. Uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. There's Karnathi Bone Knights. There's Rakshasa wandering around. Servants of the Lord of... Like, there are so many things to do here it's just it, it's almost overwhelming how much there is to do in the mornland it it feels to me like it's almost like the abyss like that ed harris movie yes yeah yes it, you're underwater and there's giant water tentacles With, that are aliens yeah uh yes but as long as you can breathe liquid oxygen you won't be affected by the there mists we go of the yeah, it, it's all tied together there we go solved all it. right series over everybody go home all right goodbye this has been no. Nope. <laughs> All right. So, All right. <laughs> so, um, no. It it feels like it's got the chaotic evil of the abyss. Um, which I really like because you've got all these crazy different demon lords, which are big, powerful, scary things. Every level of the abyss is radically different. You're not really sure what you're getting into, and it's seemingly at random. That's a lot of fun. Let's uh, let's grab our dice and say what if there's one thing that you would steal out of out of what we talked about in this episode. One thing. Dave, don't just recap your campaign for the hundredth time. No, I'm going to. If there's one thing that you would say, hey, I want to apply this to my homebrew campaign, what would it be? Let's roll. All right. Eleven. I got a four. I was really hoping you were going to get this first. I mean, I like Kabara. Uh, Valinar's cool. Dargoon's cool. But I feel like the unknown wild jungles, the elven plains that are warfaring civilizations... And the goblin area. Eh, come on, we've all done that. You don't need Eberron to do those things. Right? Sure. But the Mornland. The Mornland is pretty unique. It is extremely unique. All right? There's, there's not a lot that's like it. Uh, so I, I, I would like to introduce you to my little friend over here called Dark Sun, which is very much the Mornland. It is the... I'm not familiar with it. Okay, so it's D&D, but Apocalypse World. So the universe is essentially heading towards a heat death. Mm -hmm. And um, there's very little metal that even exists anymore. And you, it's very high fantasy, like swords and sorcery kind of stuff. But you can see the cosmos in the sky and, and there's no civilization. There's no plant life. Like it's it, everything. Monsters have won. The dead are risen. Welcome to the apocalypse. You can count the number of survivors on, you know, however many tentacles you have left, right? And there you go. This is it. So I, I feel like the Moorland is very much in that vein. Like I say, the Abyss or Limbo or there are some places in D&D that are like this, but this one feels unique because it's happened recently and there's a mystery in the center of it. Well, and I mean, it's literally in the center of a continent. Like it, it everything that is happening around it is 
based on what's happened here. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's also a really good opportunity to, if this is your thing, use this as a way to kind of sink your teeth into the religion of Eberron. Oh, I just had a neat idea. What if... Oh, okay, hold on. What? Well, well I mean, because remember, like, this could be overlords. It doesn't necessarily tell you. And the Sovereign Host was the main uh, religion of Sire. And if you recall, the Sovereign Host was rumored to have vanquished the overlords. Is this the rebirth? The, the, the... It, it could be. One of the things that I really like is the idea that the Underdark is also the afterlife and the underworld in, in this as well, right? Like in, in Eberron, right? I, I'm, I don't know. I haven't gotten there. Didn't you say that in the... Didn't we cover that in the first episode? That the Underdark was... I don't think it's the afterlife. Well, it's fiends. It's hell, right? Yes, Okay, did I just read into that? So Okay, so I like the idea of there being something like the River Styx down there. And when you talk about this mist that's wiping people's minds and stuff, maybe the mist itself is only a ring and it doesn't actually pervade the entire country. And it is just the River Styx, but it is now in aerosol form. And the way that the River Styx works in D&D is if you dip yourself into it, you lose all sense of who you are. Which is why the people escaping can't remember shit anymore. And there's just a mini faction of warring... Or a, a mini war of, of different factions inside Sire now. With the... And they can't escape because of this this ring of mist around. Like, and only the Warforge can pass through, maybe? Well, yes. I, I It is my understanding that the Warforged are well mostly suited. unaffected by what's going on in here. You know, it could have been a Warforged becoming sentient. Not sentient, that's the wrong word, but becoming aware of the world they live in and wanting to take it for themselves. Seeing themselves as superior. You know, the classic AI struggle. Yeah. Right? Lord of Blades is Skynet. Um, I would say that for my thing that I thought was really interesting is I think I could do an entire campaign in the... Uh, was it the Kraken Bay or Bay of the Kraken? Kraken Bay. Kraken yeah. Bay. I could do an entire campaign there where I've got underwater like the Sawajin or the Kotoa that are around. And we've got the strangely mercenary but kind of descending into Civil War goblinoids on one side. And you don't want to step out of line over in the elven uh, side of things, right? Yeah. So like, I feel like there's a lot that you could do with this and then you have the moorland right there as well so mm -hmm. so i could set a whole campaign there to just bring peace to this region or to find out the mysteries of, of where the moorland came from or who controls the region what's under the waters here one side the goblins or the elves are going to win you can choose right and so like who do you ally yourself with i could do a whole thing there i like there's quite a lot of radically different options between kind of what there is that you can accomplish in this area. So I like how it's mashed up against each other, and yet they can't really touch each other directly all the time. So what can you do, right? So I don't know, I'd have everybody be a pirate of some sort or a sailor or... There is a much better place for pirating in Corvair that we'll get to in a later episode. Okay, all right. Well, I'm excited about that now. Yes. All right, so as you know, at the end of every episode, what I want to do is uh, start looking into what creatures and crazy monsters and nonsense. And so one of the things that we've kind of name-dropped here is the Lord of Blades um, and the Warforged. Now, there are a couple of different options for Warforged monsters. And let's be honest, you can just make any one of the standard NPCs in the back of the monster manual, the merchant, the thug, the bandit, whatever... Could also just be a, a Warforged and you're just using that template. Um, there's also the the Titan, which I want to cover really quickly. It's a huge Warforged. So, I mean, the thing is a monster. Giants had golems and House Knith actually dug up some of them and studied them. And that's what the Titans are, is them trying to recreate the golems. They actually have two platforms on them that medium or smaller sized creatures can perch on. Um, and they are actually like siege monsters. These things will do double damage to objects and structures. They have an axe for one hand and a hammer for another, and they will just kind of fuck your life up. Cool. Yeah. So they're pretty right. And they're like tier tier two monsters. They're not they're not super deadly. And then of course there's the Warforged Colossus, which is famous. 
They say that there are a few of them. There are seven different named ones, and they each have a very brief description in the back of the Eberron book. These guys are gargantuan. You can run around inside them like they are dungeons, which is fantastic. You can explore their hollow beings and even, in theory, drive them or power them or communicate with them from the inside. These things are megazords. Yeah, kind of, but even even bigger than that, they're... In my head, they're submarines. They're spaceships, right? Like, you can get right inside and walk through the halls of these things, right? They're not just you sitting in your, your cockpit. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not... You're not Iron Man in a giant suit. You're not flying through space and stuff, like... No, 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 but, I mean, you... I would say that you have enough room to walk around that, you know, you would have inside a space shuttle, right? Like, you're talking narrow corridors, and you can move around and see things, but there are definitely rooms... That you can visit from one to the next. Oh yeah, there's a place to sleep in there. There's a like there's that. a bridge inside the head. Well, right? they, they hold garrisons of troops, right? The idea is that they go out and then they can. Yeah, some of them can. Yeah, but these are CR twenty five monsters. They've got hundred and fifty feet of true sight. You can't change their form magically, polymorph or reduce or enlarge. None of that works. They got legendary resistances, which means they just choose to succeed if they fail on a save. They've got magic resistance, so they have advantage uh, against uh, magical effects. Again, siege monster. Um, they've got a fear effect, which is really cool. That seems on point. And they have a ton of different attack options. What these things are, when you're inside of it, it feels like you're, uh, you're in a spaceship. When you're outside of it and you're fighting it, I think of the Sentinels from the X-Men cartoon in the 90s. Yeah. That's what these things are. Like, you run in fear as this thing has, like, laser blasts and shit. Yeah, you're not going to stop it on your own. No, but the person that leads them all is the Lord of Blades. And the Lord of Blades, I know, is your favorite villain, especially from the Eberron. Yeah, we're homies. Yeah. Um, So, here's what... Fifth Ed has, okay? Here's this translation. I don't know if you've dug into him. I have not. Okay, so. He's a Warforged warlord who has broken all ties with his former masters. He's established a nation for his people deep in the moorland, centered in a great fortress where Warforged from all over Corvair can come and feel a sense of belonging. But no one knows what he plans for his followers, and many fear that he intends to build a legion of Warforged zealots, primed to march on uh, from the moorland to unleash destruction on their former masters. Some say that the Lord of Blades led the Warforged armies of Sire in the last war. That's weird. You'd think people would remember that, especially because it just freaking happened. But others cast him as a newer Warforge, perhaps the last to come out of the Kenneth creation forges. Uh, and one story claims that the Lord of Blades actually caused the destruction of Sire and warns that he plans to repeat the Day of Mourning in each of the remaining five nations. Whatever the truth is, he's become a beacon for Warforged everywhere. And like other Warforged, he doesn't require air, food, drink, or sleep. So, he's medium, which feels wrong. Like, I feel like he should be large. I just, in my head, he's ten feet tall. Yeah, I guess. But, um, he is lawful evil. His AC is 19. He doesn't have a shit ton of hit points. He's got, like, 200, but it's not, that's not crazy. You can get over that, yeah. Yeah, for a CR 18, that's easy. He's got 40-foot speed. Um, His strength and con and intelligence and wisdom and charisma are all through the roof. Dexterity is his lowest with a 15. He's got good saving throws. His skills are arcana, which is kind of neat because he's a spellcaster. Athletics, history, and perception, which all have really big modifiers. He's resistant to necrotic and poison and immune to being charmed, exhausted, or frightened. Passive perception is 19, and he speaks common, draconic, dwarvish, and elvish. That tracks. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Um, he has uh, adamantine plating, which means that any critical hit against him becomes a normal hit, which is just fucking annoying. That's, yeah, that's a, yeah, that is annoying. He's got bladed armor, which means that if he grapples you or you grapple him, you have to take 3d8 slashing damage uh, if your turn, or if you start your turn grappled or being, um, or grappling, right? So yep. he has the ability to charge. If he moves at least 10 feet in a straight line towards a target... And then hits you with his sword, which is called the Adamantine Six Blade, which is just badass. Of course it is. Um, Then it does an additional 2d10 slashing damage. And you have to make a 19 strength save or be pushed up to 10 feet and be knocked prone. Yeah, sounds like he doesn't screw around. Yep. Uh, He's a spellcaster, 20th level spellcaster. And he's got uh, cantrips you can do at will. That's firebolts, mage hands, mending, and prestidigitation, which is an odd one. Like he could just get clean. I guess. Um, it does a lot more than that. It does. 
But he's got Expeditious Retreat, Sanctuary, and Thunder Wave. Four slots for those. Three slots for Blur, Heat Metal, Scorching Rays, Sea Invisibility, Dispel Magic, Fly, which I like, Haste, which I like even more, uh, Freedom of Movement, Mordenkainen's Faithful Hound, which is an odd one, and a couple of slots for Animate Objects and Wall of Force. So I love the idea that he just raises his hand and everything in the room comes alive. Yeah, that's why his hit points seem a little... Low is because he just like, hey, look at my minions. And that's the thing, too, is I'm assuming he's coming with minions. He's probably freaking riding one of the titans. Yeah, he's not going to be the lone one-on-one battle at the end of a campaign. You're going to have to hack and slash your way to get to him. And by the time you get there, you're going to have burned everything that makes you powerful. Yeah. You better have, you know, your little tiny hut ready to have a short rest. Um, yeah. Especially because he has the Warforged Resilience, which means... He has advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. He's immune to disease, and magic can't put him to sleep. So there's a lot of tactics that you just can't use against him. Yep. So remember me saying that if he goes 10 feet and then hits you, he does all this extra damage and knocks you away? Sure. That's actually part of his multi-attack because he makes three attacks, two with his adamantine six-blade, and one with his bladed wings. That's right. He doesn't have a fly speed, but he's got giant freaking metal angel-looking wings that are made of blades. He doesn't need to fly because he's got the fly spell. He's not doing a whole lot of damage with his attacks, but and like a plus 11 to hit at a CR 18 is low. However, he's got a reach of 10 feet, and he's also doing force damage on top of it, so not much can resist that. His bladed wings... Uh, are either close combat, they're melee, or he can shoot them up to 60 feet. Not like the wings, but like blades from the wings. They don't do a ton of damage, but that just means that he can... I hit you with my sword, I knock that guy back 10 feet and he's prone, I did a bunch of damage, and that guy over there is going to get shot in the face with a sword coming out of my back. Cool. He also can do a firebolt as a ranged spell whenever he wants. Um, but he gets legendary actions. He can, he got three of them because that's how legendary actions work, apparently, in 5th Ed. He can cast any one of his cantrips for one, um, legendary action. He can attack for one legendary action. Or he can cast a spell, um, of second level or lower from a spell list that takes one action to cast. That's for two actions. But my favorite, for all three actions at once, he moves up to a speed, so 40 feet, without provoking opportunity attacks, then makes one attack with his adamantine six blade. He can, and remember, if he does that, then you are, in theory, knocked 10 feet and prone. Mm -hmm. He can make one bladed wings attack against each creature he moves past. So, not on his turn, he can hit the whole party. That's stupid. I love it. I love it. And it's each creature he moves past, not one that he's adjacent to. And the bladed wings has the ability to shoot up to 60 feet. So he can just hit everybody, not on his turn. I freaking love the Lord of Blades, and I want him in more than just more than just Eberron. I want him to be a, a feature in my own homebrew stuff. That is what I would take, right? I would bring him over as just a crazy boss to fight. I was just thinking it would be nice to maybe throw that at Dan and see what he does, because uh, I think that's probably something he wouldn't know what to do, deal with. No, how to deal with it? Well, no. You know what I would do with Dan is I wouldn't have him be a Warforged. I would have this in a homebrew campaign, and I would hit him with that, and then when he finally kills him, a gnome pops out of his chest, and it was a mech suit the whole time. Fuck you and your gnomes, Dan. <laughs> so, are we done then? Is there anything else that, we, that you want to cover in this episode? Not in this one. Okay. We got lots more. All right. Do you know where we're heading next? The next one, we're going to be doing the southwest corner of Corvair. Is there anything super interesting down there that you can tease? Uh, well, I mean, there's the uh, moving city that is in Breland. Okay, that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, Drome. Means okay. nothing to me. Yeah, so this is where all the monsters, this is the uh, Nation of Monsters, and the Shadow Marches, which are, it's an orky human domain. It's 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 crazy place. All right, all right okay, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Sounds insane. Anyway, uh, this series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and lots of other podcast apps, so don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes on www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Touring the Multiverse. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find me at the subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Until next time, I'm Dave. And I'm Adam. And we'll be back with more Eberron information and crazy adventure inspiration next week. But first, want to go see what Jed's up to? To Sharn. To Sharn. Thank you.
sets of jet exuberant magic items, rare, common, legendary. We got it all. Come and see, folks. Get on over here, you fuck. <laughs> Say fucking anybody. Come on, I got a wife and a kid to fucking feed at home, okay? Hey, well, look who it is. How the hell are you? Hey, Jed. Hey, Jed. How you doing? Oh, we're just peachy. Oh, you know, I'm nice and clean. You know, what I got today might not be of use to you fellas, unfortunately, but if you got any of those scrap and splinter Warforged buddies with kicking around, you might be able to resell this in the future to some darn fool, you know what I mean? A little bit of investment. Oh, yeah, Dave... Dave's got a robot friend. He buzzes? I don't need to look into your bedroom, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, check it out. This finely crafted blade looks pretty damn good, don't it? Add a nice bone handle, maybe a nice leather sheath. Grog's your uncle. Wrong. Arm blade, guys. Once you tune to this son of a bitch, it fuses into the biological fabric of your forearm. Retract and erect this blade at will. Handy little surprise for any of your foes. You looking into sourcing things up a little bit? No worries, Jed's got you covered. The wand sheath is essentially identical, but fit to the quick-draw spellhuckers of the realms. Once again, something for both of you, so it seems. Am I right? Hey, alright, alright, my apologies. Maybe I've underestimated your interests and your affordability, but hey, based off the last couple times, I didn't want to be throwing the heftiest items out at you. But you want to get some bang for your buck? Alright, Dave, alright, Adam, I got two words for you. The docent. Two inches in diameter, this little sphere is implanted anywhere on a Warforged body. Two, two inch ball? Two inch ball, implanted anywhere. A anywhere, huh? Yeah, anywhere, but you better make this Dragon Shard studded wonder visible. You know, or folks might start asking questions if you know what I mean. Besides, this little tool is fully sentient and quite the little charmer at that. You wouldn't want to put him in like a fucking dark space, right? No one wants to be in a dark space. I'm in a dark space right now. Oh, Jed, bud, you okay? Jed, fuck, look, dude. Maybe I was talking about some things I shouldn't have. This is something I want to talk about with two fucking duds walking through a goddamn park. <laughs> Sorry, I've been really mean to you guys this week. I'm, I'm a little tense, all right? Money's tight right now. <clears throat> Besides, this little tool is fully sentient and quite the little charmer at that. Oh, it has a personality? Not only are they going to be able to be your best friend, but let's say you get taken down in battle. These guys, they're going to be your life support, okay? They're going to keep you stable on the ground until one of your fucking cleric buddies can get over and touch you with one of their feely, feely healies. On the other hand, you know, you got things like languages. You want to know how to speak giant? You can get the Dawson to learn for you. It's almost like cheating. Maybe you're headed to one of those skeezy markets that everybody hits up on the weekends, right? Well, this little guy, he's going to detect good or evil for you, right? He can detect magic. Maybe help you out so you don't get duped by one of these fucking merchants. You know, and many, many more. We could talk for hours about these docents, but better yet, why don't you buy one and talk to one for yourself? Sure, how much are they? Oh, boys, you know, you're going to have to kind of fork it out for this one. They're 500 gold pieces on the low side, okay? The one I got here today, we're talking about, oh... Somewhere around the 2,700 gold piece range, okay? Uh, th that, that seems pretty steep. I'm not even a Warforged. Yeah, but you know, the Warforged, they, they may not be the smartest or the slyest. You could definitely double your profits easy if you get one in a pinch. Oh, I, I, I'm not really interested in, in the reselling market. Well, if you don't like 2,700, what, what's, uh, what's, what's it going to take for you to get into this deal? Uh, I'm willing to send... Uh, how would you like your very own male slave? Fucking male slave. We've got we've got a we got a buddy. Well, we use the term loosely. Male slave Brad. Male slave Brad. Fuck first Dan. Now you're throwing a Brad at me. You guys got to start hanging out with some different folks. You're not wrong. You say okay. How about this? How about this? All right, because I'm always into the cash. All right. I'm gonna flip my coin. You can choose heads, tails, whatever it lands on. Your choice. I'll take your mail slave, okay? Brad can come hang out with me for a little while, okay? I'll put him to work. Sounds great. My side, we're taking the money. All right. You ready? Yep. Tails. Hey, a good day for heads, you know what I mean? <sighs> Would have been a better day if you took Brad. <laughs> Say, well, well, unfortunately for you, it looks like we're going to have to be dealing today in gold pieces. All right, here you go. Thank you so much. Look, it's always a pleasure to do in business with you two. Come by next week, fellas. By then, I'll have received a shipment of product that will connect folks all across the realms. All right, sounds good, Jed. See you next week. All right, take it easy, guys. <laughs> 
Hey, we got used babies here, huh? Recycle babies. <laughs> if you can't conceive, your first one's free. Come on down. Jed's extraordinary, magnificent idea. We need to get the fuck out of Sean.